Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Yes, I see we have much in common today. This is a good thing. Today I would wish to speak for a few moments about the importance of gravity. In 2013, Alfonso Caron wrote and directed a film by this name, Gravity. It told the story of a solitary astronaut played by Sandra Bullock who was living without gravity. First, she was outside the gravitational pull of God. In fact, in one point in the story, she cries out, why has no one taught me how to pray? She also live, is living outside close relationship with other human beings. We discover that she has lost her only child to tragedy, and this has caused her to feel removed from the whole of humanity, and now, in fact, she floats in space beyond any other human being. But then finally, she is outside the gravitational force of the earth, dealing in the in inhospitable environment of outer space. The story then, her quest to find these important gravities. I think that the film implicitly speaks to the world that we live in. Counselors' offices filled up with those who express anxiety, depression, loneliness, an existence of being displaced. Could it be that we are finding ourselves floating, removed from the important gravitational forces of God, one another, and the earth? What the film is, makes implicit, uh, Genesis speaks to explicitly Adam and Eve, our parents, discover that they are now without the gravitational pull of God after sin, outside the realm of healthy human relationships, and yes, they have been removed from the Garden of Eden, their terrestrial home. They are living outside those important gravitational and the scriptures say that we need all three. We must have a relationship with God and one with one another and a relationship with our physical world in order to be healthy. Most of the time in church world we speak about the relationship to God and the relationship to one another. But this morning for just a few minutes I'd like us to consider why the relationship to our physical planet is so important. We see a bit of it right there in Genesis 2 and verse 7, don't we? We are created from the dust of the ground. We have a special relationship with the physical earth. The Old Testament contains some 2,000 references to the language of earth and land. Thousands more specific place names and geographic references, the land of ecology. We find the word in Genesis 1-1 all the way to the very last verse in the last book of Malachi, the language of land. The great story of the Old Testament, beginning with Abraham, is a quest for a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the great story of the Old Testament, not simply our need for a relationship with God nor other human beings, but also something special is going on with our relationship to the physical earth. And then Jesus comes on the scene. 
And we learn of the importance of the River Jordan, the Sea of Galilee, Jesus speaking about hills and valleys and plains, fish and farms, rain and storms, sky and the stars of the heavens. There's something about the physical world that we need to know deeply in our lives. Some of our more current thinkers have important things to say. Einstein observes, look deep into nature and you will understand everything better. Emerson says, the sky is the daily bread of the eye. The 16th century bishop during the English Reformation, Stephen Gardner, land is the secure ground of home. And the American naturalist John Muir famously, the mountains are calling and I must go. Even our own Ellen White, God is love, is written upon every opening bud, upon every spire of springing grass, the lovely birds making the air vocal with their happy songs, the delicately tinted flowers in their perfection perfuming the air, the lofty trees of the forest with their rich foliage of living green, all testify to the tender fatherly care of our God and to his desire to make his children happy. Apparently, the human-earth relationship is significant. And if this is indeed the case, then what ought we do? How should we invest or think about our connection to the earth? With all relationships, there are at least two things. Just two things I wish to name this morning. And the first is that we must protect the relationship we have with our physical planet. We know that the earth is in trouble the problems that we face are all around. The images of trash and landfills, garbage in the sea, the poisoning of the air, the raping of forests of their trees, major climatic challenges, stewardship of the water and our overall care of creation, big problems we face on this fragile planet. So what should... Uh, Seventh-day Adventists do. After all, we're in an Adventist church this morning. What should those who proclaim Sabbath be about in terms of our physical world? The Episcopalian Barbara Brown Taylor, having confessed the validity of the Seventh-day Sabbath, writes this for Sabbath keepers. Sabbath is not only God's gift to those who have voices to say how tired they are. Sabbath is also God's gift to the tired fields, the tired vines, the tired vineyard, the tired land. Leviticus 25 shows divine concern for grapes, for God's sake. It promises both the tame and wild animals in the land enough to eat. Sabbath is the great equalizer, the great reminder that we do not live on this earth but in it, and that everything we do under the warming tent of this planet's atmosphere affects all who are woven into this web with us. Just because the land and the livestock cannot hire lawyers does not mean they have not been violated. Their biblical rights are written down right there in the Bible. But other gods go on getting in the way. 
She continues, where there is money to be made, there is no rest for the land, nor for those who live on it. In the rural county where I live, developers bulldoze the laurels by the river where the raccoons taught their babies how to fish. An entire pine forest comes down to produce the paper for one mail-order catalog. People who have already run out of closet space work overtime to pay the interest on their average $9,000 credit card debts, while economic predators send teenagers applications for their own pre-approved cards in the mail. No resistance to such ravenousness will come from those who are heavily invested in its revenue. No, the resistance, the resistance will have to come from elsewhere, from those who live by a different rhythm, read Sabbath, because they worship a different God. The resistance of Sabbath keepers. So what should Seventh-day Adventists be up to, those who proclaim a life of Sabbath? Friends, I think that when the question is asked, who are the leading environmentalists in the world, the answer should be Seventh-day Adventists. Those who are Sabbath keepers should be environment keepers. To be a true blue Adventist means that we should be bright green. It seems to me that we spend a lot of time wrestling over when creation took place. We spend a lot of time arguing about how creation happened, two subjects that the Scriptures speak very little about. What if we started to ask fresh questions about who created the world? and why it was created, and how we can participate as part of that creation in the renewal and the celebration of the world to which we have been placed. What if Adventists became the protectors of the environment, rising above the sometimes petty political fights about the environment to a much deeper and more substantial commitment to live as creationists in the world that God created? What if we became this sort of people? The kind of people who not only recycle and drive smaller cars and live in more efficient homes, but who argue for a globe that is well cared for because after all, the globe is our Father's ball. It is our Father's globe. Yes, it seems to me that the beginning point is to protect this world. I love the Kentucky farmer Wendell Berry who writes, There are no sacred and unsacred places. There are only sacred and desecrated places. The whole world is holy, every last stitch of it. And we are to be those who are committed to its sacred nature. St. Paul writes in Romans 8, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. This in the context of a conversation about end-time resurrection. 
Paul says you're going to be resurrected at the end time, but you should live a resurrection life now. The creation will be restored at the end, but we must participate in rescuing it from its turmoil even in the present moment. The two are connected. My favorite wall on campus, you can see it through these glass doors, quoting Revelation chapter 7, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees. Our scriptures tell us that in order to be healthy human beings, we must be in gravitational connection with God, with one another, and with our physical planet. Therefore, first, we must protect this important relationship. Second, we must enjoy it. We must enjoy the relationship we have with the physical world. Again, John Muir, he uses the language of enchantment. Enchantment. The vocabulary of an emotional connection with the physical world. And so this week I was thinking about what places on this planet are enchanted for me? What would my testimony bear out? Some of you who know me will expect this first one, the Appalachian Mountains. I have to tell you, after all these years, when I drive up into those majestic mountains, so soft and secure an emotion wells over me that says, Alex, you are home. There's something bracing about it, something richly connected. This past summer, we took the kids and wandered through this mountain stream there in Appalachia. Something about the environment just said, all is right with the world. And I still love in the spring the blossoming dogwoods best. Or could it be when the azaleas are in full bloom? Oh, I could go on and on about its beauty. These mountains that speak to me of being loved by God and having a place in the world. I could also talk about another enchanted place for me. Some of you will not know this term, the low country. This is down in South, South Carolina. This is the part of the world down by the ocean, down in the lowlands where everything moves slow. And it's slow in all the right sense of that word. The trees of the low country, the sands of the coastline, the beautiful beaches, it just puts your heart in exactly the right place. In fact, some of you may find this strange, but uh, I have in my right hand, and I keep in my office, if you can see it, sand that I captured from these beaches. And I leave it in my office right over here so from time to time I can just look at it and everything starts to slow down. And it's a beautiful thing. It's enchanted land for me. But then, of course, over the past many years, my heart has grown from, from one part of the land to the unparalleled Pacific Northwest. 
I don't know about you, but uh, for those who travel by airplane, you're going to know exactly what I'm about ready to say. After a long trip, you see it. It can be Rainier, pictured here, or Mount Hood. And, you, and you're coming in, and you know, I am almost home. You look out the window of that airplane, and you know that all is a bit right with the world. I feel the same way about uh, the um, territory we know as Central Oregon. There's something about the plains, the, the mountains called sisters, that puts your heart nearer to God. Or the majesty of the Oregon coast. In fact, uh, some of you will find this strange, and I've had this for almost two decades. This is water I ripped out of the Pacific Ocean off the Oregon coast. <laughs> I know. And I keep it in my office. And sometimes when I think, man, Alex, you're just bottling up God, I look into this bottle and I remember there's a lot more than what's in this bottle. And the rich majesty and the power and the violence and the mystery of the Oregon coast come alive. And it's through the connection to the earth that things begin to change. I'm also uh, uh, continually reminded about the wonderful rolling river, the mighty Columbia that dominates our landscape. I, I see that river, and somehow everything feels right in the world. But then, of course, uh, saving the best for last, turning to Walla Walla, Uh, our valley, this beautiful patch of green in the middle of rich browns. Um, what's the matter with brown? <laughs> I like it. Um, you know, driving up from Pendleton and seeing the Blue Mountains, or driving east, coming into the valley, you see those blue mountains, and once again, you start to know that you're home. You've heard of the, the, the word being disoriented, right? Disoriented. You know what that word literally means, right? Orient is east, right? To be disoriented is to lose track of the east. Do you know what I love about living in the Walla Walla Valley? You're never disoriented because the Blue Mountains sit to our east, and you can always know where you are. And then there are particular things uh, like this majestic evergreen tree that sits in my next-door neighbor's backyard. I would feel great emotional loss if that tree were to go away. Or the deciduous tree that guards the corner of Fourth and Bade outside my office here. There's something about that tree that says that I'm being watched over in this world. Well, this past Sunday, we spent some time with many of you, by the way, skiing in the wonder of the Blue Mountains, enjoying its lush, frivolous beauty. And then never forget when you worship in this church, you are worshiping on holy ground. Some of you will remember that over a half a century ago, this land was a dairy farm. This literally is a land 
flowing, at least with milk. <laughs> and um, again, some of you may think that I'm weird already, but if you can see it, it's going to be hard. In my hand, a few years ago, we were digging around this in the church. This is a cow's tooth that we found been buried for decades, but uh, sometimes I pull out this tooth and I remember that we're worshiping on rich, wonderful, holy ground. We are living in an age of anxiety, brothers and sisters, where people are worried about the past and the future, about government and the economy, about their self-worth, about all kinds of things. We are stressed. The Scriptures say, here's why. You are forgetting about the important gravitational pulls. God says that I put in your life, one, God Himself. Two, other human relationships, but not to be forgotten the rich relationship that we have been given with our physical planet. And we need all three of these to live out the beauty and the gift that has been given to us since the Garden of Eden. Gravity. I want to close our reflection this morning by sharing with you a testimony. Some of you may remember it. I shared it eight years ago. The testimony of some older gentlemen, Apollo astronauts, who were reflecting upon an experience they had had many years before. I invite you to hear their word today. After the postlude, one of our elders, Dave Thomas, will be up here at the front on the Oregon side to pray with any of you if you uh, would wish to be ministered to in that way. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Amen.